Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning Truma Shani, the second Aliyah in Parshas Truma. The topic of our Aliyah is the Kapores, the Kruvim, and the Shulchan. We hear in this Aliyah of 14 Psukim from Perak Chavhei, Yudzain to Lamed. Let's take a look at the general overview and then take some points to ponder. We're told now to, that the Moshe Rabbeinu is to make the Kapores, which is the lid, to cover the Ark. And it is made of one solid piece of gold. And drawn out of it are these two kruvim, these two angels. They're made on either end of the kapores. And they are to be facing each other. Their wings spreading up above and their faces facing one another. Um, um, and that this is placed upon the iron. And the testimony, which is the... the Luchos are actually placed in the Aaron um, as well. We then hear a paragraph about the creation of the Shulchan, which is the, sh- the table for the showbread. It is made of Atzei Shittim, um, and it is, we hear dimensions, it is two Amos um, in length, one cubit in um, Amos in width, and a Amos and a half of height, one and a half Amos is worthwhile noting that in the, in the traditions of many of the Bedouin tradi- traditions, which are prevalent at the time, um, people would eat on the floor. They would eat off trays on the floor. This is an elevation. This is much more dignified, the way that this is being described over here of this, this t- table. And then we hear it's covered with gold. It has a zera zahav, a golden crown. And it also has a misgerech, misgeres. Um, it has a some sort of frame around it as well. Um, we hear that it also has four rings through which it, uh, it has its own staves or these um, sticks to carry it with it. And then we hear about the, the, the fact that it has these um, containers or these, these um, structure, the structure around the side which would hold the showbread, which would be supported above it. So there are six above the one side, six above the other side in the middle. There are these two little cups of Incense, frankincense, which would burn. So there'd be 12 loaves, six, six in a stack on these, this frame above the table on one side, six in the stack above the table on the other side, and the two cups in the middle of frankincense. Um, this is the description of the Shulchan. A few basic questions is, what are the Kruvim? What do they represent? The Gemorian Sukkah tells us the word Kruv comes from the word Keravya in Aramaic, which means like a child. So the face of, the, of this Kruv, this angel, was like a child. Obviously, this does not mean that an angel is of human form, but it means to say the closest we can understand and represent it is the innocence of what a child is. Obviously, Christian doctrine took this into a very literal understanding. Um, it's not literal when it comes to understanding what Judaism is. This is much a loftier concept than something which can be made into a statue in the middle of a fountain. Um, and so it is important to appreciate the subtleties of this. Why do we need this? Why is Hashem's voice emanating from between these two Kruvim? What is really going on over here? The general understanding of my Hashem is that the Kruvim represent the, the dialogue and the connection between the nation of Israel and the Rebona Shalom, the Almighty. And therefore, famously, the Medrash says that when the Kruvim were facing each other, that was when there was consonance, there was harmony between the nation of Israel and Hashem, and when they were facing away from each other, that was there was dissonance between God forbid, between the nation of Israel and Hashem as well, uh, and Hashem. And so this would represent that relationship in a very um, specific format. Um, it's worthwhile noting the Gemara does describe that before the destruction of the base of Migdash, they were embracing each other. So just before the moment of destruction, there was this embrace before the separation. There's a lot to think about when understanding this. I'd like to explore one idea which is really 
profound. It's found in the Nefesh HaChaim, Rav in Shar Aleph Perek Tess, a very famous and beautiful idea. He points out that if you read Sefer Melachim, the way the base Midrash was created was a little different to that of the Mishkan. Not just a little, but a lot. So as an example, one of the major differences was that in the base Midrash there were four Kruvim, not just two. The two Kruvim that are described here, created in the, um, the Mishkan, of course were there on the lid of the Aaron, the Kapores of the Aaron. However, there were another two ma- much larger wooden, gold-coated Kruvim, an- uh, angelic figures, also, which were huge, ten amos high, they would stretch their wings from one end to the other end, they would t- the tips were touching for ten amos, ten amos, it was a very powerful large structure, and they would be above, as a canopy above the iron as well, they rested on the ground, not on the um, not on the uh, on the lid of the iron. So what's interesting is is that when describing the uh, the kruvim here in our parish in the uh, parsha's truma, we hear of them facing each other. However, in the in just in Melachim, it describes that they in fact um, were uh, were not facing each other. They were facing the the entrance. So that and the Gemara explains the Basra explains that they were sort of at a diagonal. They were facing towards the entrance and and to each other at the same time. What is the relevance of the difference of the Kruvim at the times of the Mishkan and the times of the Mikdash? And the Nefesh Haim explains that because the, the, the Kruvim represents the relationship of Hashem and the nation of Israel, at the time of the, de- the generation of the, Mi- of the Midbar, the, our generation that we're talking about over here, where there was this supernatural sustenance, where people were literally um, eating food from the heaven, their clothes were being laundered, they're being protected by, from the, the problems on the ground, by the clouds even beneath their feet, and their enemies on the outside, and the, the heat and the sun, they would be living a supernatural existence. There was this meditation, meditative pose between the nation of Israel who could just think about God all day long, and there was gazing into pure, pure gold, this pureness of this relationship which was face to face. However, that was not to be, and that was not the plan for humanity. The plan for humanity was to have to go into a country and set up an army and set up a government and have a king and pay taxes and till the land and have all the kind of complications of regular life and still see God. And that's why the Kruvim were in the land of Israel, the times of the Migdash, were not made of pure gold. They were made of wood covered with gold because it was more complex. Life was a little more complex. And they were looking at each other, but they weren't only looking at each other. They were looking at the door. They were looking forward as well because life was more complex. They had to look outside as well at the same time as meditating on God. The complexity of everyday life is represented in the land of Israel. And Nefesh HaChaim then asks a very interesting question. And that is that if it's true that the Kruvim, these angels, or the, the angel of Israel could not fully meditate and focus on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it really should be that the angel representing the Hashem, so to speak, whatever that means, would be looking still straight at Israel, whereas Israel is trying to look at God but also but looking towards the door. So only one angel should be diagonal, the other angel should not be diagonal. Similarly, you could ask the same question with the angels in the, in the Mishkan. If uh, they say B'nai Israel are not cooperating in the relationship with Hashem, then that angel should turn around, but Hashem should carry on wanting to have the relationship. And the, the Nevesh says very famously, is that that's not the case. We set the tone of the relationship with Hashem. And therefore, if we are turned away, pivoted even so slightly as 45 degrees or Rachman al on 180 degrees, the other side of the relationship shifts and pivots as well. That means to say that HaKosh Baruch Hu follows Hashem Tzilcha al Yad says the Nefesh HaChaim, that Hashem is like the shadow. As we move our arm, the shadow moves as well on the ground. Hashem is the reflection of the tone of the relationship that we set with Him as well. Very powerful idea, and that's reflected in these Kruvim at both different, at different times in the nation of Israel's history. Move to another point. 
what is the point of the shulchan? So the Bechor Shor explains that this is a sign of honor. The king's servants eat of the king's table. Who are the king's servants? They are the Kohanim. They are the priests who are serving in the Beis Migdash in the Mishkan. They are to eat of the king's table. The Swara takes it a little deeper and he says that the, that the Mishkan is, is to be the house of God. And just like in the house of God, in a palace, the king has a throne. He says that throne is, a likened, is likened to the Aaron. And then you have the lamp and the table of the king. The lamp is the menorah. The table is the shulchan. He says, so, so we're taking one step further. If this is representing the house of the king, the palace of the king, the shulchan actually represents two functions of the king. It has a zer and it has a miskeres, a crown and a border. The zer represents the function of the king to judge the people. That he is crowned to be in charge of the people and judging the disputes. But then there's a miskeres. A miskeres is this boundary around it, which is to protect the people from harm from without. Those are the two functions the king plays. Rabbeinu Bechayah take, takes it one step deeper. He says that, in fact, that when we, when we look at the shulchan, Although it is true that it's blessing our bread, our, um, our, the food that we get which flows over into our, our lives, in fact we're, ta- we're being taught that the bread which is on Hashem's table is in fact on our, on our table is a sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that means to say that even when the Mikdash is no longer going to be here, the way that we eat, the way that we conduct ourselves at our meal, the most physical of experiences, what all mammals have to do to eat to survive, that is the time where we can sacrifice to Hashem. In fact, he quotes a minag in Tsarfas in France that Sheoisim Mishulchanon Aaron Likfura. When the per- a person would die after Me'ave Esrim at 120, they would take the wood of their table, their dining room table, and use it as the wood for the casket of their um, of their Aaron. Lo Hairois, he says, to teach Kia Adam, Lo Yisamu Uma Biyadoi, Voloi Ilovenu Beamaloi. What really counts, nothing that a person accumulated really counts. What does count is the goodness they did and shared at their table. A person who extends their table to others, their lives and their years will be extended too. Very powerful expression which is being taught to us by the Shulchan over here as a, as a um, reflection of what we are supposed to be doing today as well. Now, what is the lechem haponim? What does it mean, this lechem haponim, which is always here? Our Babanel explains the word ponim comes to the word lefonai. It's in front of me. This bread is, con- is, is expressing the presence of Hashem, which is in our everyday life as well. And that's why if we bring the lechem haponim on the, on the shulchan, ultimately our everyday bread, our everyday sustenance would be blessed as well. The Mishkan was the place which was the conduit, the antenna for spiritual blessing to be found in our material go- wealth. It's interesting to note that the Mishnah Menachos that Tzadi Tesamabes tells us that there's a dispute as to what the word Tamid means. The last pasuk over here in our Aliyah is Lechem Panim Lefonai Tamid. The showbread or the, the presence bread is in front of me always. What does that mean, Tamid? So the Mishnah tell, tell, tells us that the, according to the one opinion, the way they would have to do it is when they, on the Shabbos when they would exchange the one week's bread because the bread would stay there for a week and they'd be exchanged by the next round and then eaten by the Kohanim, um, the idea would be is they would push the one set of bread off from the one side, the new bread um, it goes in, the old bread comes off, so there's never a moment that the table is left without bread above it. That's how Tamid needed to be, that's how consistent it needed to be. However, the opinion of Rabbi Yossi was, says, Rabbi Yossi says, it did not need to be so punctilious. It could be that you just took one off and you put the next one on, that's still considered Tamid, that's still considered always. 
right, the Gemara goes on to say that we can learn from this an important lesson when it comes to our Torah learning as well. That we're told in the beginning of Sefer Yoshua, we're supposed to study the Torah. We meditate upon the divine teachings day and night. It's been, meant to be continuous. And the question is, is how continuous? How much are we supposed to dedicate our time? And the Gemara makes the note, according to Rabbi Yossi, that, they, that, that as long as at the beginning and the end of the day it is consistent that there is Torah there, that's still considered Tameh, that's still considered enough of continuity, which means that the person could le- learn at the very least a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening, perhaps even Kriyashwa in the morning, Kriyashwa in, e- in the evening, to have the very basic minimum of what Tameh is. That's not the optimal, but that's certainly still Tameh. And there's a debate in the Gemara then, at the very end of the Gemara, it's Adaf Tzaditas, where uh, there's a debate as to whether or not a person should tell this to the, the regular ma- the masses. Should this be something which is taught or not? On the one hand, if you teach it, then people will rest, rest assured and say, well, it's enough just to learn a little bit. On the other hand, perhaps there were people who would give up if they did not know that they had the opportunity of doing even the most minimum level of Tamed. It's still doing learning in the morning and learning in the evening is no small commitment as well. And the Gemara debates particularly this, this point, the notion of Tamed. Therefore, the Shulchan is teaching us not just the notion of how we sacrifice and what the base Midrash look like, but it's what our lives look like. The framework of Tamid, the framework of continuity, which is meant to frame our lives on a daily basis. With this, we conclude the second Ali. In the meantime, have a wonderful and meaningful day.